All right, Galatians chapter 1. So last week we looked at verses 1 through 5. I'm going to have, I have even a shorter passage. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Uh, depending on how you're, if you, what Bible you're using, if you have a Bible that has like headers, uh, first of all, the, the headings over the sections, are, you know, we know that that's not inspired, that's just the translator, you know, the publishing company putting headings there. Uh, some will include verse 10 with this section. Some include verse 10 with the section that follows. I think it goes and belongs to the section that follows. So we're only going to read through verse 9. So Paul continues uh, after his greeting in verse 6 where he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven above should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So like I said, a short passage. Uh, Just a recap, if you remember from last week, we began our study in the book of Galatians. We looked at all the introductory matter. Uh, This is a letter from Paul, the first verse, the first word of the first verse. Tells us that it's from the Apostle Paul. This is, now, I believe that all of the letters that are attributed to Paul belong to Paul. There are some who will say, not, they would not agree with that, but this is a letter, Galatians is a letter that whether you are a conservative uh, believer in the Bible or a liberal believer in the Bible, almost unanimously uh, people say that Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it to a group of churches, not a single church, not a singular church, a group of churches in a region called Galatia, which is uh, <clears throat> southern part of Central Asia Minor. So if you can think of you know, the map of Turkey, which is modern, you know, that's modern-day Asia Minor. Uh, And in the middle region, in the southern part of that middle region, is the region of Galatia. These were churches that Paul founded on his first missionary journey when he left Antioch in Syria, and he eventually hit that Asia Minor peninsula. He uh, planted churches in Antioch and Pisidia, He planted a church in uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So those four churches in that region. So he's writing to these churches. This is an early letter, uh, I believe, uh, that Paul wrote this before the Jerusalem Council. He wrote this. uh, This is uh, arguably his first letter. His first letter, probably written around 47, 48 A.D. Uh, So he's writing to these churches. So then he greets them in verses 3, 4, and 5. He's writing to them because, as we'll see in just a moment, he's writing to them because they have been infiltrated. They have been infiltrated by false teachers bringing a false gospel and thus threatening the freedom that we have in Christ. I'm not going to do the William Wallace again this week. So if you weren't here last week, you missed my William Wallace impression of the word freedom. But they are there jeopardizing the freedom that we have in Christ. So as we will see in a moment, normally in Paul's letters, what he will do is he will, after he introduces himself, 
After he says, I'm writing to these people here, uh, usually he'll say grace and peace to you, so on and so forth. He usually opens up with like a, a word of thanksgiving, a word of prayer. I thank God for you all. Uh, my prayer, I pray for you constantly. My prayer is that you stand firm in the faith and so on and so forth. You don't see that here. You don't see that here. Paul is getting right down to business when he opens this letter. And the reason he's getting down to business in this letter is because the gospel is under attack. And because of that, Paul wants to get right to the point. He is like a lion chomping at the bit to get out and, and you know, devour the prey. And, and in this case, the prey is the false teachers. So as we look into this passage this morning, this one really sets the table for the rest of the letter. Okay, because what we see here in these verses, Paul will expound upon in the rest of the letter. Um, if you remember the outline we looked at last week, uh, verses 1 through 9 is really sort of the introduction, and some call it the initial rebuke, some call it like just the table setting. He is setting the stage for what follows. And then the rest of the letter is devoted to defending his own ministry and gospel, then kind of making an appeal to the Galatians, then exhorting them, and then he'll close the letter. So this is part of the introductory matter. And in this section, Paul gets down to business. And like I said, this will set the table for the rest of the letter. And what he wants to get across here in these three verses simply is this that the gospel of pure grace in Christ Jesus our Lord is the only true gospel, except no substitutes. You know, you throw that on there like you have in some of these commercials. You know, the only true gospel, except no substitutes. Because that's what's happening here. You've got people coming in, these troublers, they're coming in, and they're bringing a substitute gospel. They're bringing a false gospel, another gospel, a different gospel, as we will see is no gospel at all. So first... We're going to see this, this passage breaks down in three parts. Verse 6, we're going to see turning from the gospel. Verse 7, distorting the gospel. And verse, verses 8 and 9, cursed for a different gospel, for another gospel. I forget what I put down there. Cursed for another gospel. So again, after Paul's very brief greeting where he emphasizes that his apostleship, if you remember there from verse 1, he says, I'm an apostle. Now, Paul always started his letter saying, Paul, an apostle from Christ Jesus. Why does he always start that way? Because oftentimes Paul's apostleship was under attack. Because he wasn't an apostle like Peter was, or like John was, or like James was. These are men who walked with Christ, talked with Christ, were taught by Christ, ministered with Christ, spent three years with Christ. We're there at the, at the crucifixion. We're there at the resurrection. Paul comes late later, which is why Paul will say, as an apostle, I'm one born out of due time. I'm sort of like a, what's the phrase? It's a, a, a misbirth, a, a miscarriage in, in a sense. But Paul is an apostle. Why? Because he was called here by Jesus Christ. He did not receive his apostleship from men through men, but was uh, designated an apostle by Christ Jesus himself. You know that story well in Acts chapter 9 where Paul was on his way to Damascus and Jesus Christ himself called Paul and says, you will be my instrument to the Gentiles. So he defends his apostleship. And then right away in verse 6, he says, I am astonished. I am amazed. I am shocked. 
That word there, um, thalmazo, it's a word that expresses marvel, shock. It could be like good, you know, like you're shocked at a surprise birthday party, or it can be bad. It can, think of bad ways to be shocked, you know. Uh, and in this case, this is a bad astonishment. This is not a good astonishment. And why is he astonished? Why is he shocked, marveling? There, he's marveled, he's, he's shocked because they are turning away. They are turning away. They are deserting. They are substituting the true gospel for another gospel. And that's what he's, he's shocked at, that they're turning away. And not just that they're turning away, but that they're turning away so quickly. So quickly. Paul is astonished that they're turning away so quickly. He's like, I came there, I gave you the true gospel, I left, and all of a sudden these infiltrators come in, and they're sort of uh, tempting you and, and enticing you with this false gospel, and you are turning away so quickly. They are abandoning the true gospel for another, a different one. So the reason, again, for Paul's harshness is this is not just a core issue, this is the issue. This is a gospel issue that Paul is dealing with here. Right? This, the, he's not talking about secondary issues that we can, that we can differ on. Okay? He's not talking about whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. Okay? Not that those terms would have mean, meant anything for Paul in his day, but you know, anachronistically we can kind of apply them. He's not, he's not concerned whether you are baptizing babies or not baptizing babies. He's not concerned whether you sing psalms or, or you can sing hymns as well. Right? He is amazed that they're turning away from the gospel. He's not amazed over uh, issues of conscience like he talks about in 1 Corinthians, whether you, you eat or you don't eat, whether you drink or you don't drink, whether you celebrate certain days or you don't celebrate certain days. Paul has many things to say about those things. We just came out of a book in which Paul said a lot of things about those things in 1 Corinthians, a church that was messed up on a lot of levels. But even at that, Paul was not nearly as harsh with the Corinthians as he is right here, right now with the Galatians. Why? Because they are turning away from the gospel. And all the faults that Corinth had, they were not really turning away from the gospel. Here, Paul's like, you are turning away from the gospel. And here he says, a different gospel, another gospel. That word there is, in Greek, it's the word heteros. Okay, So if you... Think of heterosexual. Think of heterodox. Okay, If you are a heterosexual, you are attracted to someone from the other sex, the different, a different sex. Okay, The word means different, but not just different in kind, or different as like another one. There's two words for different, and, and Paul uses them both here. Uh, the other word is alos, so that means different like another one of the same kind. Let me give you an example. Alos would be like, all right, so Fred is a man. Jerry is a man. You are different men, but you're both men. Okay? Heteros would be Fred is a man, Lori is a woman. Okay? Different in kind. Different in kind. Uh, think of cars. Okay, or here's another example. All right, a German shepherd is different than a beagle. Right? That's alos, different in kind. They're both dogs, but they're different. A dog is not a cat. Okay? My German Shepherd and my cat, they are not, they are, they are heteros. They're different in kind. They're, 
They're, they're not, uh, you cannot distinguish them. And when Paul says here, heteros gospel, you are, you, are, you are lured away, turning away to a different gospel, a, a gospel that is not of the same kind as the gospel that I preach to you. In other words, it's a gospel that is no gospel. Okay, it is a gospel that is no gospel, because that's what he'll say in verse 7. There is not another gospel. There is no other gospel like the gospel. So it's something that is not the gospel. And they are turning away from it. They are deserting it. They are deserting, as Paul here says, you are, you are turning away so quickly from him who called you. You are turning away from God. You are turning away from the Father who called you in the grace of Christ. And you are turning away from that. You're deserting the call of God. You're deserting the grace of Christ. And you're substituting it with something else. So they weren't just embracing a different gospel. They were abandoning God himself. They were turning away from the grace of Christ to something that was wholly different from the grace of Christ. Think of uh, in Jeremiah. You don't need to turn to these passages. You can if you want. You don't have to. Jeremiah chapter 2, in verses 12 and 13, there the prophet is speaking to the people and how Israel has forsaken the Lord. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what the prophet here is saying, the two evils are this. My people have left me, and they've substituted me for cisterns, but they're broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay, What do you call a cistern that can hold no water? Well, useless. <laughs> Thank you, Fred, for that. <laughs> yes, it is a broken cistern, and a broken cistern is useless. It's worthless. It's worth nothing. Okay, so you've given up the grace of God. You've given up the Father who has called you by his grace in Christ, and you have turned away to something that is not the grace of Christ. And again, as we said here, Paul will say in verse 7 that there isn't really another gospel. But given the context of Galatians, Paul here is fighting against people who want to add works of the law to the gospel. Now, when I say works of the law, I don't mean obedience to the Ten Commandments. Okay? We are called to obey the Ten Commandments. That is, that is our rule for how we act and how we behave as Christians. Because we've been saved, we then follow in obedience, a thankful obedience What Paul here means by works of the law is works of the Mosaic law. Works of the law that that adhere to the old Mosaic code. So circumcision, dietary laws, all the other uh, observing certain ritual days and so on and so forth. The, 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 The works of the Mosaic law, the law that governed Old Testament Jewish uh, religious practice. And they want to add these works of the law to the finished work of Christ. And this shocks Paul. This shocks Paul that they are turning away so quickly. It's bad enough that they're turning away. It's it's even worse that they're turning away so quickly. 
so rapidly. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, just a few pages back, Paul here, writing to the Corinthians, says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. The same thing can be said here of the Galatians. They are being presented with a false gospel, and they're kind of falling for it. Now you may ask, why do we fall for false gospels? Well, there's various reasons. <laughs> but I think in my mind, the, the, the primary reason why we fall for false gospels is because as human beings, we're kind of hardwired for works. We want to we feel like we have to do something. And that's how it was originally in the garden, right? When God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him a command, and, and Adam had the ability to obey that command. The problem is he didn't obey the command. And we're still, in a sense, hardwired for works. And, and, and to hear the gospel of free grace, it, it kind of goes against our fallen nature. It kind of goes against what we, what we think and feel needs to be true, that we have to earn it. We have, that's why every, every other man-made religion in the world is some kind of works-based religion. You've got to do certain things. You've got to obey certain rituals. You've got to behave a certain way. You have to don't do this, do this, and so on and so forth. The gospel cuts through all of that. So there are many, many, many false and different gospels that seek to cause us to desert the grace of Christ found in the true gospel. That's why we need to be constantly vigilant. That's why there's so many uh, exhortations in the New Testament to remember to stand firm, to hold fast, things like that. And we need to be reminded daily of what the gospel truly is. So secondly, verse 7, distorting the gospel, where Paul here again says, not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So again, Paul wants to be clear, there's not another gospel all right, the gospel they were hearing was not an alos gospel. It's not like a gospel, you know, like, like it is like the difference between a beagle and a German shepherd where they're both dogs. They're, they're, they received a dog gospel and they're being given a cat gospel, okay? <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Right. There is a, a joke I heard. It has nothing to do with this, but when I said dogs and cats, right, my dog theology and cat theology, you know the difference between the two? Okay, I see some heads nodding. Dog theology says, uh, you love me, you care for me, you feed me, you must be God. That's what the dog thinks, right, to the human master. You love me, you care for me, you feed me, you must be God. Cat says, you love me, you feed me, you care for me, I must be God. Okay. There's not another gospel. These different gospels that, that Paul here is mentioning are not gospels at all. He says here, distortion, perversion. You want the, uh, the, these people who trouble you and want to distort the gospel. You want to pervert the gospel. Again, adding to the gospel is not good news. If you add works of the law, if you add works of the law to the gospel, you no longer have good news. Because the gospel, first and foremost, is a declaration of good news. It is a declaration that what you lack in righteousness has been given to you by faith. Christ has done what you cannot do, and he gives that doneness to you through faith. 
That is the declaration. It is a good news that through faith, you are now righteous because you have trusted in Christ who has obeyed the law. If you add works of the law to that, you no longer have done. You have, you're adding do. You're adding something that you have to do in addition to that. And Paul says that's a perversion. That is a distortion. He talks about the presence there of people among them who he calls some who trouble you. Trouble you. That, that word is very familiar if you've been with us through the Gospel of John. It's the word that speaks of Jesus being troubled when he was at the grave of Lazarus. It speaks of Jesus being troubled when um, he realized that he was about to go to the cross and he prays to the Father. He was troubled in spirit. It speaks of how when Jesus uh, announces the, the betrayal of, of Judas and Judas leaves, he was troubled in his spirit. It speaks of uh, a disturbance, not a disturbance in the force, but like an agitation. He is agitated. He is troubled. And, and Paul says these people who are coming in and distorting the gospel, they are agitating you. They are disturbing you. They are causing and stirring trouble in the church. So these who, those who would come into the church with a different gospel that is no gospel are, uh, at all are troublers. And more than likely, these troublers are what we call, are a group of people we call the Judaizers. You may have heard that before. Uh, they don't specify uh, by name here, but Judaizers were typically the people who were Jewish, coming out of a Jewish background, and they wanted to continue circumcising and continue obeying certain aspects of the Jewish law in order to become a Christian. So these troublers are coming into the church, and they're coming in so shortly after Paul had planted these churches. And they began then poisoning the food and water supply. So Paul had sort of laid the foundation for the church, the groundwork for the church there, and then he leaves And then these troublers come in and they begin sort of spoiling the land. They begin poisoning the water supply. And now they are drinking a poisoned gospel. Uh, Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Where here he says, Yet because of false brothers. So these people, these troublers, they're not Christians in a sense. They come in. They're false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. I mean, these are very harsh terms Paul is using here, very graphic terms. So these troublers have come in. They see that the Christians are experiencing freedom in Christ, and they say, we need to come in and put them into slavery. Okay, we'll get into that a little bit more when we get there. But that's what, how Paul describes them. He describes them as people who are coming in and they want to put a yoke of slavery on you. Think, think again of the key verse here, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So do not let these people put you into slavery. So what are these troubles, troublers doing? They are perverting, they are distorting the gospel. The word there... Uh, has an idea of turning around to turn, or metaphorically it means to pervert. Basically, the word as it's being used here means to turn something into the opposite direction. It's used in a couple of other places in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. It's talked about the sun turning into darkness. 
In James chapter 4, verse 9, it's, it's used in laughter being turned into joy. So the idea here is this, it's being used here to say you're turning the gospel into the very opposite of what it means to be. Okay, you're taking the gospel and you're, you're making it the, an, an anti-gospel. Okay, an opposite gospel is sort of, if you're a fan of Superman, a bizarro gospel. Okay, if, that, if you're not a fan of Superman, that reference just goes right over your head. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bizarro is like the anti-Superman, if you want to know. A false gospel. So the troublers are turning the true gospel into no gospel at all. Now, Jesus warns about this, right? He warns of this um, in his Olivet Discourse in John, or Matthew. I've got John on the mind. Matthew chapter 24, when he's giving his Olivet Discourse, and he talks about the... the, um, time near the end. And he says in chapter 24, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. False messiahs, false Christ, false apostles, bringing false gospels to lead astray, as Jesus here says, if possible, even the elect. In other words, these false gospels are so enticing that if it were possible, the elect themselves would be turned to them. So Jesus warns of this. People coming in and taking the true gospel and making it no gospel at all. And they do it, again, by adding the finished, adding works of the law to the finished work of Christ. And Paul will say this uh, to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Where Paul here writes to Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, or in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. That's false gospels. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So Paul here is saying to Timothy that there are going to be coming some who are going to distort and bring demon gospels with you, and they're going to be saying you can't do this and you have to do this. In other words, adding works of the law to the finished work of Christ. And we'll see this more clearly as we continue to go through the book of Galatians. But this is easily the most popular perversion of the gospel. The most popular perversion of the gospel is to add works to the gospel. It's to say, yeah, believe, you know, faith in Jesus is good. And, and, and we, you could even go so far as to say, yeah, we're saved by faith alone. But how do you stay saved? Well, you've got to work at it. You've got you to start adding your own works to this thing. We are saved by faith alone, but we stay saved by works. And Paul's going to say no. <laughs> I mean, just, just look at if it's on the same page even, or maybe turn the page over to Galatians 3. And I can't wait to get to this passage when we get to it. <laughs> but in Galatians 3, how does Paul start there? Oh, foolish Galatians. Okay. Didn't Jesus say don't call anybody fool? <laughs> yes, he did. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? 
who has put you under a spell. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, Paul says, look, the gospel was preached to you. The gospel, uh, you know, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I, I resolve to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Well, that was publicly portrayed before your eyes. And he says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing of, in other words, were you saved by works of the law or were you saved by the hearing of faith? The obvious answer is hearing of faith. Then let me ask you, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you were saved by grace through faith alone. Are you now being perfected by works? The obvious answer there is no. The way Paul, the way Paul puts it there, that answer should be no. False gospels. We are saved by faith alone, but some will say, no, you've got to stay saved by works. Another popular perversion of the gospel is placing requirements for salvation. So you're, you're putting up uh, prerequisites, okay? So if you've ever gone to college, right, and you want to take a particular class and you look, well, in order to take this class, I have to take Econ 101 and Philosophy 101. So those are the prerequisites. So in other words, they will put prerequisites to being saved. Sort of like you need to you, you cannot be saved unless you first repent of all your sins. You cannot be saved unless you first clean up your act, and then you can come to Jesus. You have to do something before you can even be saved. This was um, something that came up really big in Scotland. Scotland. you got to say it like that, right? In Scotland, back in the 18th century, so the 1700s, there was something there called... The Marrow Controversy, M-A-R-R-O-W, Marrow Controversy. And it's, it came out of a book that was written before then called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. Okay, now in this book, it was a book that, that proclaimed free grace. So you had some in Scotland, in Scotland there in, in the 18th century, who came up with a creed. And it has a weird name because it's named after a region that's got a Scottish name to it that I'm going to probably butcher as I say it. The Achtarader Creed, okay? The Achtarader Creed. I can't even roll my R's properly. But what they taught in that creed was that it is unorthodox to teach that one must repent prior to coming to faith. Now, there's a lot of words there. In other words, what they're saying is they're saying you don't have to do anything to come to faith, just receive the gospel as it is freely presented to you. And the, the General Assembly in Scotland said, no, 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 no. You have to do something first before you can be saved. You have to, you have to repent of all your sins. You have to clean up your act. You have to, to, to show all of these things. And what they were doing was they were putting the cart before the horse. Because repentance, we teach here, is not something that you have to do to be saved. It is a fruit of being saved. Our, our Reformed confessions are very clear on this. Repentance is a, is a fruit of faith. It is a gift of faith that is given to us as we come to Christ, as we hear the law, then, you know, sort of being sort of the weight of the law is placed upon us, and we come to faith in Christ, and, our, and the Spirit opens our eyes. We are then impressed upon ourselves the guilt of our sin, and then we repent as a fruit of being born again. That's what the the marrow controversy was. So they were very strict to make sure you don't put any roadblocks in order to come to salvation. Salvation is freely given. The only thing you have to have is the open hand of faith to receive the gift of the gospel. 
other examples of false gospels. I have a few here that I wrote. Three Ps, if you like them alliterated. Okay, you've got the prosperity gospel, the personal gospel, and the political gospel. Okay, we all know the prosperity gospel, right? Come to Jesus and your problems will be solved, right? Come to Jesus and you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you're if you're not receiving the blessings that God wants to give you, it's because you don't have enough faith. So you gotta, you know, come to Jesus and you'll get all these wonderful things. Tell that to third world Christians, right? Tell that to the Christians in South America, in Africa, in Asia, where, where the church is dirt poor. Yet they probably have a stronger faith than we have. The personal gospel, that's the gospel of self-improvement. Come to Jesus and he will make you better. You will, you will be whole. You will be made complete. You will be a better you. What does that do? Well, that turns the gospel inward so that you're focusing on yourself, not on the glories of Christ. The political gospel. Jesus is a Republican, right? Jesus is a Democrat. Jesus is a Libertarian. Jesus is a Communist. No. No. (laughs) Jesus transcends all of these political distinctions. I said it before. I'll say it again. There is a popular book called um, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And I like to throw in here Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's what Paul is putting across here. You cannot add to the gospel. It's Jesus or you get nothing. If you add to that, you get nothing. You pervert the gospel, you distort the gospel, and it becomes no gospel at all. All right. Thirdly, verses 8 and 9, cursed for another gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he ends this initial rebuke here to the Galatians with a very clear and unambiguous uh, statement. Anyone preaching any perverted or distorted gospel should be accursed, should be under God's condemnation. If they bring a gospel other than the one that I brought to you, That person should be accursed. And Paul includes himself in this category. In other words, Paul was not inspired. Now, I'm going to say this very carefully. Paul was not inspired. His writings were inspired. When Paul wrote Galatians, when he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians, he was inspired. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided his pen as he wrote but Paul himself knew that he was a fallen, fallible human being. So he's like, look, if I, even if I come and I bring a gospel other than the one I brought to you, I should be accursed. If an angel from heaven should come down to you and bring you a gospel other than the one I brought to you, that angel should be accursed. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 11 that talks about how false teachers come in and false gospels and even Satan himself comes disguised as an angel of light. For uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. In other words, if you 
you want to be successful at preaching a false gospel, don't come in looking like the devil, right? You, know, you disguise yourself. You make your, your lie as close to the truth as possible. And history is filled, the history of the church is filled with examples of once faithful teachers who have succumbed to preaching a false gospel. And again, any slight change to the gospel, any addition, even the slightest addition to the free gospel of grace, distorts the gospel and creates a false gospel. Well, why would anyone want to teach a false gospel? Well, there are many reasons, but if you peek ahead to verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul here says, For am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? So why would you preach a false gospel? To seek the approval of men, right? <laughs> some, of the, some of the biggest proponents of false gospels have the biggest churches. Right? I don't need to name names. You know who I'm talking about. You can just picture in your mind. Some of the biggest proponents of false gospels have the biggest followings. And why is that? Because they tickle the ears. Right? They tell people what they want to hear. Or they give them you know, sort of ways that you th- they think you can be successful. You know, again, if you, prosperity gospel is so popular. Why? Because who doesn't want to be rich? Who doesn't want to be healthy? Right? Who, do, who doesn't want to be free from, from poverty and from, from bad health? So the prosperity gospel is very, very popular. The personal gospel is very, very popular. Who doesn't want to be a better you? The political gospel is very popular. Who doesn't want to see, you know, make America great again or, you know, hope and change or all these things? All of these gospels are very popular because they're false gospels. They tickle the ears. So in case Paul's point was missed, he repeats the anathema in verse 9. Again, I say, if anyone brings a gospel other than the one I brought to you, let him be accursed. So this is so important that Paul repeats himself. And he repeats that anathema. That's what the word literally is in the Greek there. Accursed is anathema. It's used in the Old Testament for a word that means devoted to destruction. So if you're you're reading through your Old Testaments and you, you come across a phrase that says that, this was devoted to destruction. That's the word anathema. It was, it was devoted for destruction. In other words, it was given up with no hope of redemption. And that's what Paul here is saying. If you preach a false gospel, you should be devoted to destruction with no hope of redemption. And again, why so harsh, Paul? I mean, you know, show some love, show some grace here, Paul. Well, Paul's harsh because, again, we're talking about issues that are essential to the gospel. He wasn't this harsh with the Corinthians, and they had a lot of problems again. He's not harsh with other, you know, when, when, when people are mistaken. That's why oftentimes when Paul's writing in the Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. Right? He says that. I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, you need to be instructed. Here he's harsh because what they're talking about here is essential to the faith, the gospel. So then just a couple of words of application as we close here. We should always tolerate, we should tolerate no false gospels. There's two applications. First, we should tolerate no false gospels. And we should do everything we can to protect the true gospel. So, I mean, that means even me, right? (laughs) I'm a human being. I'm susceptible to error. Uh, Just because I say it doesn't mean it is gospel truth. I need to be held accountable. That's why we have uh, elders in the church. And we should always hold every human teacher to the same level. We should always pay close attention. This is the second application. 
We should always pay close attention to even the most trusted Bible teachers. Why? Because they're human. Why? Because they, they, they're fallible. Why? Because they can succumb to the pressures of the world, right? So that means even the most, you know, R.C. Sproul can be mistaken. John MacArthur can be mistaken, right? Uh, Steve Lawson, go down the list. John Calvin, I mean, you know, I mean, in reform circles, we hold John Calvin to be almost on par with Scripture. John Calvin can be mistaken, right? Our standard is not Calvin. Our standard is not MacArthur or Sproul or Steve Lawson or any of these guys. Our standard is the Bible, right? And our standard is the Bible, and that's what we should uh, follow. We follow Christ. We, we don't follow men. And we follow the Bible. We don't follow the teachings of men. So we should always pay close attention to what is being taught because even the most faithful Bible teacher can fall into error. That's why John will say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, test the spirits, beloved, to see if they're from God. Be discerning, be watchful, be vigilant, and always be reminded of what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't need refreshing. The gospel doesn't need updating. The gospel doesn't need modernization. We preach the good news. We preach the declaration that by grace through faith we are saved. We preach the good news that the righteousness of Christ has been applied to us through faith. And there is no other substitute to that. There is no other way to be righteous before God than by grace through faith. We don't preach the next new thing. I'm not here to preach the new thing. Right? I'm here to preach the old, old song, right? <laughs> you know, as, as we sing, right? The old, old song, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. So I'm going to close here with a, this is a quote from Heinrich Bullinger. It's got a good German sounding name, right? Heinrich Bullinger. And he says here in his commentary on Galatians, it is those who do not acknowledge the benefit of Christ's grace or who do not attribute all the glory to him who are said to have turned away from him. And that's true, right? The gospel is all about what Christ has done for us. It's not about what we can do for him. And if we turn away from that, we are turning away from God himself. That's why Paul says here, you're abandoning, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So we'll stop here. Uh, Next time, which... Not next Sunday. Next Sunday, Christmas Day. will No Sunday school, Christmas Day. We'll be starting at 10 o'clock for a worship service. Uh, but we'll pick up again on... We will have Sunday school on New Year's Day. So don't party too hard the night before. Okay? Make sure you get enough sleep. I expect to see you all here bright and early at 9.30, Sunday morning the 1st. And we'll look at... Probably look at verses 10 through 24. We'll probably finish chapter 1.